Hello. In this episode, we're doing things a little differently. We're joined by two other licensed therapists, and you'll hear the four of us talking and get a glimpse behind the curtain of what it sounds like when we gather around a table and talk shop. Meredith and I will be back in a couple of days with an episode featuring a client session for our regular weekly show. Hope you like it. Welcome. I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown, the roundtable bonus edition. And for those of you who don't know what a roundtable is, don't worry, because I didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) And we're not at a roundtable. No, it's kind of a tree table. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of people talking at the same time. Maybe not at the same time. But together. Together. And we're joined today by two people that I absolutely love. Good friends, very good colleagues, and good therapists. First, my friend I've met maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, when I was first starting private practice and still in community mental health and trying desperately to get out. He was a wonderful voice and cheerleader for that. I think you gave me a lot of great insight. And you actually had your version of roundtables with salons that got people together and, and really made me see that therapists can work together as a community and be very collaborative with each other. So you're instrumental in me starting out, going into private practice, my good friend, John Sovek. Hey, good to be here at this not quite round table. Yay. <laughs> uh, and John, do you want to say what you specialize in or what you do or any of that? You know, know? it's interesting because that's really a multi-pronged thing for me. There mm-hmm. are lots of things that I love to do. I primarily am in private practice in Pasadena, and I specialize in working with LGBTQ adolescents and their families during the coming out process. It was such a fascinating thing to come to me because I'm an openly queer man, an openly queer therapist. I think that's part of my like kind of social kickback to be open about all this work. And in grad school, like nobody did much training on working with LGBTQ populations. There was maybe Mm. at most, I don't know what you remember from your schooling, but like maybe two or three hours of a very general overview. Well, I'm 400 years old, so back then it was way back. And you don't look a day over 325. (laughs) Oh, that's me. (laughs) Our other guest is somebody that I met maybe just five years, four or five years ago. five years ago. Yeah. And we were in the same building sharing private practice. and, And this is Bonnie Ray, who is part of that collaborative community of therapists. Now she's fully on her own. She's abandoned me, but... Oh, I miss you <laughs> daily, Doug. Oh, I do. Thank you. Another wonderful therapist. And you actually did teach a little bit at Antioch. Yes. Yeah, so right? I'm primarily a private practice therapist, but I do teach lesbian liberation, lesbian identity, and queer women loving women's sexuality at Antioch University in their LGBTQ specialization track for psychology graduate students. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I went to Antioch. You did? Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were a teacher there. (laughs) I am. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. Right. So I do, like you, John, I do specialize in LGBTQ psychology as well as working with people in the entertainment industry. Mm. So a lot of writers, directors, producers, actors, um, people in just the creative fields as well. And you have a background in the creative fields, too. I do. Yes. I don't like to talk about that much. We'll cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally, totally kidding. I do have a background in the entertainment industry. I grew up in the entertainment industry. So I get it. And I think 
my clients appreciate that I understand. I get it. They don't have to explain a lot of mm-hmm. how it works with me. So right. that is something I'm open with. Yeah. Which is- it's so interesting because that's I think that's such a fascinating point too, is that when our clients know that we get it, mm-hmm. actually letting them know that we get it can be right. so valuable. And having that background, even though you may not speak openly about it, like in the world, just sitting in that room and knowing I'm an entertaining person, and for some reason I know that you get it. Totally. Like that's one of the totally. most powerful things that can happen in the room sometimes. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. And and you spoke to that earlier with disclosing your sexual orientation. And I, I do that with all of my clients and I, I don't just work with LGBTQ people, but it's a, it's an important part of me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think clients do pick up on that and it's not like you need to know every detail about everything, but just knowing that I understand this, I know where you're at where you are. <laughs> Jeez, that, did, you, did you guys get that in school too, that, that meet your client where they're at? Yeah. Which yeah. All the time. Which grammatically is, incorrect. We don't. Totally. Crazy, but, you cannot end a sentence with a preposition. But I will now never forget that yeah. phrase. Mm-mm. So you always think about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of where the client is at, I kind of wanted to open this up and start with how we start with clients, because a lot of people, even coming to therapy, even making the first call to a therapist, all of that is very nerve wracking for a lot of people. And I wonder for you guys as therapists, is there something that you like to do or like to start with or how you start with a brand new client, whether it's that first phone call to you or that first meeting in the office when you know that they probably are holding that, where do I begin? Where do I start? How do I do this? Right. I was, I don't know if this is directly answering your question, but <laughs> I, have a I feeling was, we'll do a lot of that. I was thinking about that on my drive here and how at the beginning of my career, I used to get anxious about a first session, right? Because mm. I want someone to come in. I needed clients at that time. I was a beginner. And now I feel like the first session is my favorite session mm-hmm. because mm. what brought me into this work in the first place is connecting with people. And right. my interest in people. And so somebody new comes in, I'm excited. Not that I'm like, hi, nice to meet you. But it's like, <laughs> come in. And I just want to get to know about you. And and I'll talk a little bit, talk about what I do. And I don't know. There's something about that first session that that's enjoyable for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I'll talk more about that in a second. But John, I want to hear where you are on this too. Well, I think it's really interesting because like for me, that first phone call is the bravest moment that any client is going to go through. Yes. Because a lot of times you'll chat with people is like, yeah, I've had your information for six months or I keep going. I went to your website a lot of times or I heard you speak at something two years ago or read something a long time ago or a friend of mine mentioned. But that moment of actually like picking up the phone and making that connection, that's a big deal for for a client coming totally. in. And for me in that moment, I'm actually way less clinical. I'm mm-hmm. more like just like, hey, so tell me a little bit about what's going on. What do you need? You know, I keep it really casual and really conversational. So it's very inviting. I really try not to use big psychological words in that moment. Right. I don't use that a lot of my practice anyway. Yeah. So it's just not Maybe. who I am. Yeah. But especially on that first phone call, I want them to realize there's a really cool person on the other end who is ready to sit down with them and just be present. So for me, that first phone call, I just, I know all the anxiety that comes up for people. So funny because I often don't even have a phone call. I don't ask anything for the most part about what's going on. I'm like, okay, let's schedule something and come on in and like talk about it. I really want to wait till I meet them to find out. I mean, if they really want to tell me, that's fine. And sometimes it just depends if we are 
plain phone tag, I'll just email them or text them and be like, Hey, what time works for you? What day? Like, let's just come on in. Mm. And then like the other day I had a client that was, had been back and forth and I could tell was kind of hesitant. And I was like, listen, I'm an amazing therapist. Just come in. <laughs> and he started laughing and he, and I, I was love like, it. yeah, I was like, okay. But you and I had talked before and I'm pretty, once you get past the first session, but I have an assessment, like paper assessment that oh, I sit the there with yeah. You. yeah, and I sit there and I'm like, okay. And I fill it out and I'm like, siblings, do you have siblings, you know, parents, are they still married? And then, you know, what meds are you taking, if any, and history of trauma and any legal issue, you know, and I fill it all out. I'm very meticulous, meticulous with yeah. my notes. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've had them subpoenaed before once. Wow. So wow. yeah, after that, and that, I think that that's throwback to we started in the county. DMH notes. So doing that, that paperwork it. for, <laughs> you know, the government agencies, your notes have to sound a certain way. You have to do the certain assessment forms. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think over time, I would take the assessment form with me when I met a client. We went into their houses mm -hmm. and I would go through everything. Then I would learn, okay, I know most of those questions. I'll just talk to them mm -hmm. and then I'll get in my car and then fill the form mm -hmm. out. Then it was, oh, I can fill it out when I get back to the office. Then eventually it was, I don't even need the form. I'll just talk to the client. Yeah. Right? But it's so interesting because as far as the like intake process, I email my stuff to clients ahead of time oh. and they fill it out yep. themselves at home. Oh. They bring it within the first session. And one of the things I do is I say, sit down, catch your breath, just get used to the room. And I'm going to look through this real quick oh. and Ooh. give me a heads up on where to start. Nice. And the thing that I love about having them fill it out too, though, is not just the information they answer. You can also also see like their handwriting. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can notice if they're stressed yeah. out. If you're asking a scaling question, it's like interesting because if that was truly where you were on a scale, you would be hospitalized right now. Um, <laughs> but that's how they're seeing their experience. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot to having the client actually fill it out and bring it in and use that as like a stepping stone. Totally. Right. Is it like an assessment type thing or that what you have them fill out? It's more of a self-assessment style. Okay. It looks at things like, you know, family relationships. Mm -hmm. um, it opens up space to talk about medical issues. Hmm. It kind of gives a little like self-checklist of potential things that you might be feeling like loss of sleep. Can or you email like that, that to me? Absolutely. Great. Thanks. <laughs> so I use a program called Simple Practice. Oh, me too. You use that as well. Yeah. So it sends out my paperwork Advertising before. Dollars. Oh, hey. <laughs> Great. I actually didn't know that was Yes. A so thing. not only do they create, yeah. they create the paperwork for you. So I know I'm not missing anything, HIPAA right. compliant, all of that. When I book a session, because like you, Meredith, I will get on the phone if someone asks, and I'm also much better. <laughs> you like that? Mm -hmm. And I'm also much better in person. So I feel like vibe yep. energy, you can really pick up meeting someone in person. Yeah, absolutely. Says the woman behind the mic right, right. now. <laughs> um, but simple. So come on in, everybody. <laughs> right. Meet us. Yes. So simple practice. It sends out the paperwork before yeah. I ask them to fill it out before coming in. This is so I get the background information. Are Are you taking medication? What are you coming in for? Like you said, John, I, I get a better idea of what they're looking for. What they don't answer is really interesting, mm. how they answer it. Also for me, I might read it and right away go, you know what? In my gut, I know I am not the best therapist yeah. for this person. You have them send it back to you before. Before. Ooh. Because if mm. I'm already going, I'm not the best person, or this person is dealing with something that I don't specialize mm -hmm. in, and then I have other therapists pop up that would be better yep. before having them come all the way in. Sometimes I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm willing to see you. I'm getting this feeling and I can help, mm -hmm. you know, bridge you to another yeah. therapist. Yeah. 
Or right off the bat, I say, you know what? I read your paperwork and I don't think I'm the best fit for you. Let's hop on the phone. Let me make sure that's correct. Mm-hmm. And and I have three people that I'm I'm willing to send you to. That's yeah, amazing. I love that. And I got to say that a lot of what you're talking about, John, what you were talking about with reading how they fill certain things mm-hmm. out, we do this without judgment at all. Yeah. It's just information that we're gathering about the client. Right. So if there are clients listening to this going, oh, crap, I don't want to fill anything <laughs> out. They're going to tear me apart. Oh, they're going to they're gonna reject me already. Right. They, haven't right. even met, they haven't even met me. Right. Totally. That is- Interesting thing, though, because I work a lot with adolescents, is I have the parents fill one out mm. on their view as what's happening with the adolescent. Mm. And then I have the adolescent fill one out on their own separately that the parent actually doesn't see. Amazing. And you get two different versions of a a reported same experience. Sure. So it's really fascinating. And also working with adolescents too, there'll be this moment where we'll be going through it and the parents not in the room at that time. It's like, so you answered this question this way. So is this actually true? And they're like, no, I did that so my parents wouldn't know. Amazing. (laughs) So that'll happen a lot. We're talking about drugs, alcohol, sex, things like that, sexual orientation, gender identity. They may not want their parents to in any way, shape or form see that. And so once again, it's a tool to step off with. And I kind of use it as like a co-conspirator moment. It's like, let's join right now and tell me me what's really going on. I love that. And it's it's that even the way you're talking about that, one function of a therapist is somebody that can, in a sense, hold your secrets and help you figure them out so that the secrets don't eat you up. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, I know, John, in the work that you do specifically, they're coming to you because they've been holding the secret or they're holding this and it's tearing them up and wreaking all sorts of havoc on them or their relationship or dynamics. And it really is about, okay, here's somebody that can align with you in that, right? Well, I think that also helps with me being very open about my queer identity. Because if you Google me and all of our clients are Googling us, just everybody know <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's such um, a shame. And it's wonder- <laughs> I think it's wonderful because I'll have a kid come in and say something. It's like, oh, you Googled me, did you? And we'll use that. But being so open with who I am and what I do in the world, my political activism, my social activism, that it's right out there, allows clients to have an idea of what they're coming into. And if we go back to that initial phone call energy and that coming into that first session energy, having some idea of who this person is you're going to meet, I think is really important because oftentimes new clients will sit down and say like, you're exactly like the person I read about on your website. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Which is interesting because the four of us are similar in that way. There are so many therapists that are blank slates, right? Mm-hmm. you know, will not answer any questions about themselves, which is all fine, right? Everyone works differently totally, and people need different styles and who, you know, will not disclose anything about themselves, which is fine. And it's just, we happen to all sort of work more similarly in that style. Right? Sure. And we can, we can hear it and feel it out. Like Bonnie, you were saying, I'll, I'll know when it's not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can tell when our style, not that we all have the same style, but similar in just being authentic and being pretty open Mm -hmm. about things. If a client feels more guarded or needs something a little more uh, analytical or structured that might not necessarily be one of us, you hear it and you go, oh, that's okay. With no judgment going, I think there'd be a better fit because there are people out there that would do that for you. So if you don't gel with one of us or what we're talking about, that's not any fault of, of yours. You're not doing therapy wrong. And I will never take somebody that's not something that I am really good at. I am really bad at working with like transgender clients, especially Mm -hmm. adolescents, 
not something that I'm good at, not something that I like, I just won't do it. Let's say something you're not effective at. Thank you. Ooh, you're welcome. Thank you. Nice reframe, Doug. I learned that from you, Mom. <laughs> nice reframed. You were, you were going to say something too, right? But I think the important thing to understand is that both parties in the room are the ones who are going to decide if the relationship continues. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. The thing that I do with all new clients is in our first session, I say, what I'd like us to do is commit to doing three sessions together. And during the mm-hmm. course of those three sessions, we're going to get to know each other. You're going to see how I work. I'm going to hear more about what your challenges are. And then in that third session, you and I are going to sit down and we're going to talk about it and say, "Is mm-hmm. am I the right therapist for you? Are you the right client for me? Mm-hmm. And either of us can pull the plug on it. If I'm the one who says, I don't know if what I offer is what you need, I have amazing referrals in the area and Mm. I can help you find people. And if you feel like I don't quite get you, I will still help you refer and we'll get you out there to Mm -hmm. the people who can. But I think that empowers the room because then it's, it's actually a conscious decision, not just to like, well, I guess I just keep showing up each week. And in kind of working with that, I also do this thing where about once a month, every six weeks, we do a check-in. How's it going? How are you feeling? Are we on track? And my favorite question, is there something that I've missed that we should be talking about? Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 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 I I like, I don't do it that way, but I I like what you're saying about after the three sessions, Mm -hmm. having that check-in. I'll do it at the end of the first session. I'll say, how how are you feeling right now? Let's check in, right? It's kind of like, are we speaking the same language in a way? Well, I just usually say, so if you want to book another session, let me know. You know, if you want to continue working together, this is what happens. And obviously they're usually like, of course. (laughs) And I, I think it's funny though, because what I've learned over the years is that first session most of your clients do not remember 99% of it because their anxiety levels have yeah, been so, so high. Good point. Sure. Yeah. And like a client will come in like a few weeks later. This is actually a true story. So a few years ago, I was in a bike accident. I broke my collarbone. <gasps> mm-hmm. And so I was in a sling for about 11 weeks. And I had a new client come in and we were working and chatting and worked for a while. And about the fifth session, they said, oh, what happened to your arm? <laughs> <laughs> And that's because the anxiety can be so high in the room for our clients yeah. and they may not be in a space where they actually remember anything about that so first true. session. Right. You know? Totally. Yeah. I love the idea of checking in with them over time. Mm-hmm. Like even for me, six months or a year later, because for some of the clients that I work with after a year, or if they're with me, you know, even longer than that, where they are at that moment versus where they were when they started are vastly different. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, I'm a big fan of going, you can try another therapist because you, where your story is now is a different beginning than yes. where you began it with me. And mm-hmm. that might be kind of fun and interesting to start from that place right. and see how that goes. Right. They never want to leave you. Yeah. Usually not, Obviously. but I, yeah. I encourage mm-hmm. that just to kind of check it out. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that, that John said though, and see how we all, where we all are on this and, and, and we'll see how honest we are too. Ooh. Um, John mentioned that uh, our clients, when they're first coming to us, will Google us and check us out and try to find us. <laughs> you know where I'm going. <sighs> so when you get a new client, do you Google your client? Ooh, Doug. <laughs> Crickets. I will be I will be very honest. I've actually worked with some actually this is interesting. I've worked with some industry people as well too. One of the things that will happen is often I I'll be totally honest, I'm not a really like media savvy person. And so they'll come in and I won't actually know like who they are, or what they've done. And I'll talk to them. It's like, do you want me to know who you are and what you do? Mm. Or would you rather that I don't? And we can work with a, with me not having any idea of what that is. Nice. And oftentimes they request that I do not 
Yeah. And that I stay kind of innocent in what their career is in the world. Is that when you do? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I respect that. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because what it does is it allows me to, once again, work in this really innocent space about what the pressures or ideas of their career are and let them create it for me. And then I get to right. walk into that space with them. So even when I've been tempted to, I actually don't Google clients. Right. Um, nice. I think it's more for my sense of well-being because what if I find some information that hasn't come up in the room and then I start mm -hmm. leading yep. into the room? It's like, right. why would I know that? Yeah. So I actually don't Google clients at all. I will say I do not Google clients. I am very tempted to. That's, mm. that's the human in me. Sure. But like, Why like, don't you? Like what stops same, you? Same of what John said really yeah. is it almost contaminates the the purity yeah. of the space. Mm -hmm. And same thing with you, with people in the entertainment industry, I will say, sometimes I obviously know who they are. Mm -hmm. I will say, how do you feel about me watching your show? I will be honest if I'm already watching the show and they come in, I will say, I just want you to be aware that I do watch the show. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? So I'm very authentic about that. Um, a lot of them want me to see their art, watch their art. And yep. I've had a couple people say, you know, it's really nice to finally have somebody who is separate than that. Mm -hmm. right. And that feels really important to me. Right. The times I'm most tempted to Google is when it's another lesbian client mm. because our community is so small. Mm. So I have had someone come in and in four sessions, we realized that her wife and I dated the same person at the same time 10 years ago. Wow. And then her wife found, I mean, it got really sticky. So yeah. I had to refer her out. Right. But because of that experience, anytime I'm working with another queer woman, there's always that, do we know each mm -hmm. other? It's a smaller community. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I also figure at this point, maybe they would, they know my name. They've seen my picture. Maybe right. they would know, but right. that's hard. The only time I really Google people is when I recognize their name. So born and raised in L.A., mm. if I recognize their name and I want to double check if either I know them or I went to school with them. Right. Did I date them <laughs> <laughs> or their siblings or or at this point in life, is it a, a kid of somebody that I know? I will Google them and just say like and look and be like, oh, crap, because it's happened before. And so. I don't, don't know. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Doug, do you Google your clients? Oh, yeah. I stalk the hell out of them. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> <Not surprised>. I'm <laughs> on... <laughs> I bet you're friends with all of them too, huh? Yeah, that's fine, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. No, I, I, I used to. I actually used to Google some when I was starting out because I would want to get a sense of is what they're representing to me actually mm -hmm. what's true? Because a lot of clients that would say that they were very successful, they were doing certain things, and I wouldn't have heard of their shows or wouldn't heard, have heard of their music or what they're doing. And I would Google just to see because I wasn't familiar. I like your approach, Bonnie, of asking if they, actually both of you guys, asking, do you want me to know anything about that or not? I've had a lot of clients invite me to uh, shows that they're yes. putting on and you know ask me if they saw certain movies or TV shows. And I like throwing it back as, would you like me to? I think of one of my favorite portrayals of a therapist on TV and film was from the West Wing. All the millennials will have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's all right. Um, but there was a scene where uh, I think it's Adam Arkin, the younger Arkin, mm -hmm. is a therapist and he's working with the president. 
And at some point he goes, okay, Mr. President, we're, we're done. And he gets up to walk away. And Martin Sheen's character says, I'm the president. I'll tell you when we're done. And he says, with all due respect, in this room, I'm going to be the one person that doesn't treat you like the president. And I love that because it yes. created that space and it's, you don't have that, that power dynamic isn't in here. We're equal. And it wasn't that he was saying it as he has all the power. It was, there just isn't a power struggle in this room. That's yeah. not what it's about. Yeah. I definitely have set boundaries in terms of everyone gets treated equally. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's important too, is that the space that we set going back to your West Wing reference is that's one of the most important things about the therapy space. Back in school, they have this thing about holding the space, holding the vessel, mm -hmm. that you're creating this. I know I work in a 50-minute session. We're, we're creating this space that begins on time, ends in time. Anything can happen in between, but I think it's about respecting that this has a, has a very contained energy. And in that containment, I find that it actually allows people to go deeper because anybody can put their hand near the fire for a short time. But if you say, I don't know when we're going to pull your hand away, then I think that makes people a little bit uncomfortable to go into those deeper places. Mm -hmm. yeah. But by knowing that I, as a therapist, work in a very tight framework and that that then allows clients to say like, so if we go really deep, I know that there's an end in sight. Um, I think that comes a little bit from yoga. I'm a yoga teacher as well. Oh, wow. And the thing that we always talk about is you can hold any pose for a certain amount of time knowing that it's going to end. Oh, it's so true. You're right. And I so, always need to know how many more breaths. I hate warrior two. <laughs> <laughs> or I dislike it. There I don't do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that idea of understanding that there's a real specific framework can help a client to go deeper. Totally. I like that. And it's funny because Meredith and Bonnie were both snickering. Shame, 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 shame. Well, shame. it's just you, I you feel shame. work differently. You don't stick to 50 minutes. I mm -hmm. I do. I'm like John. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do. if we're at 50 minutes and the, and the you do. You do? Stick to fifty. Yeah, I do. Oh, awesome. I do. I do. Okay. Awesome. Don't don't judge me. I'm not judging you. Okay. I'm, I'm judging. Stop her. picking favorites, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I I feel like it's very arbitrary. How did they come up with fifty? Why isn't it an hour and twenty? I have to pee and heat up my coffee between sessions. I know, but That's why? I thought you say right now. Okay, we can take <laughs> oh, a no, break. No, no, Pause. Good. Go ahead. You can pee. Bathrooms over there. <laughs> but why not an hour and twenty? But I guess here's the thing. It could be an hour and 20, yes. as long as it said, said our sessions right. are an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. It could be three hours. There's a really amazing person here in Los Angeles who does this process where they actually go into families and they do like a six hour session with them in their homes. Wow. Oh, wow. Um, it's this really expensive thing. They work with the family dynamics. It's all family oriented stuff. And that's the framework they've set up. But once again, the framework is known. Mm -hmm. We're going to have this six hour day. It's going to be a marathon. This is what can happen. These are when we're taking breaks. So the clients know how it plays out. So it could be an hour, right. 20 minutes. It could be two hours and 17 minutes. Fine. But for it's me personally, no, I yeah. think it's being specific with the framework really helps. I think for so many of my clients, I would almost say for all of them, boundaries, containment, saying what you need, trust, all of that comes up, right? So for me, if I choose a 50 minute session, or maybe it's 90 minutes, right? Or maybe yeah. we do a double session. It's being able to say, you know, I've said this is 50 and I'm going to stick to that. Right. So I'm also modeling of course. to you, yeah. right. right, that I can both love you and I can want to continue. And, you know, when you're a good therapist, you get going. Yeah. Right. You don't yeah. want it right. to stop. Totally. And I'm like, oh, now, now we're talking, yeah. right? Yeah. And you need to trust that yeah. I'm going to maintain my word and this is going to end at 50. And I need to also, again, pee. Yeah. 
heat up my coffee. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. I'm a new mom, so maybe pump a little milk. Whatever I, mean, I need to do. Who doesn't need to pump? Milk? Right. Now yeah. You're talking exactly. <laughs> and then have a couple moments to get grounded yeah. back in my energy for the next person that's going to walk in. So it's boundary for me. It's boundary for the client. Yeah. And even though it's sometimes hard, right? Because sometimes at the very end of the session, hmm. right? The doorknob. Yeah. The doorknob confession. Yep. Right. Your client drops a bomb and you're like, oh, I want to go there so bad. And this is why we have next week. Yeah. Right. So it's not right. about the 50 minutes. You're, you you pay so much for therapy, right? And so it's like, okay, I'm paying this much for 50 minutes. It's not about the 50 minutes. It's the boundary. Right? It's that and it's it's the continuation of the time you have together. Right. So I always say it's like each 50 minutes is like you're knitting a sweater. Just yeah. one notch, right? Listen to that analogy. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, they both busted analogies. I, I know. love it. The fire, the sweater. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Although if you had the fire going, you wouldn't need the sweater. That's funny, but, Doug. Yeah, Good one. Good I'm one. trying. You know, you said something earlier, Bonnie. I said I was going to come back to it. And, oh, and you did? I yeah. I trust you. See, now I trust yeah. what you're saying. Good one. It's the memory. It yeah. works weird that way. When you said you, you have a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and your energy for a new client, like you, you love that and mm-hmm. you get into that, right. that, that excitement of a brand new client. I, I think that's very true. It's partly why we love what we do and we, we feel that and we get into that. And it's, I think something I say to my clients all the time, like, I love where you are when they're just coming in the door. Cause it's saying I might've been scared. I might've been anxious and I want to change. I want things to be different. And I love that time in a person's life. Right. Right. You're here. You showed up. Right. Right. That excitement. I think it's a given for us. I mean, I know each of you that you each love what you do. Right. Yes. Very much. So much. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that. But I have an interesting thought too. So we're talking about the excitement of the new client. Mm hmm. How do y'all maintain that excitement for the long-term ongoing client? Good one. Oh, I like it. With DBT, we do a lot of phone coaching. So I'm pretty much 24-7 engaging with my clients via text or phone or whatever, which again, I really like what I do. So I think that my enthusiasm maintaining it is also like the ebb and flow of their journey. If their progress is just an upward trajectory. I am so excited for it. And as it, if it, you know, has its ups and downs, then my work with them is so intense and there's a lot of concern that it just keeps that engagement going. Right. Yeah. So you're riding the ups and downs yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I shared this with you earlier. I used to work at a DBT place mm-hmm. as well. Right. And so I'm trained in DBT and good for you because I really struggled <laughs> with, I love the yeah. people yeah, I was yeah. working with. I love DBT. Yeah. They're so supportive. I couldn't do the phone coaching. Yeah. I knew that I could not keep carrying that on. Yeah. So it's so amazing that you do do that and you do love that. And I know how much it works for people yeah. who need it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You said do do. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. And I, you know what? I feel really good about it, Doug. Yeah. When you let the do do out, it I, feels I so say, much better. I actually use that term with clients all the time. <laughs> I do do that too. <laughs> editing is a magical thing. Some, oh, we're not editing that out. <laughs> no, I mean, why would you edit do do out? No, I don't understand. Sometimes it's just a moist situation. <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, but back to you. How do you okay. stay engaged? So, or enthusiastic. 
how do I stay enthusiastic? I mean this when I say it. I don't feel like I get bored often. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of my relationships with clients, they're the years. I've worked with mm-hmm. them for a long time mm-hmm. and you do deeper work and you think like, well, what do you have to do when you've seen someone for six years? Yeah. It always surprises me how much more there is. Or maybe you've worked with someone for four years, you're super close and they tell you something mm-hmm. and they've never even registered that as trauma. And mm. you're sitting there just, what? Right. And what, I wonder why you've never shared that before. Now, I might not get bored, but sometimes we get stuck. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. And so uh, what do we do with the what I call stuckness? That's when I'll go back and say, let's look at what you've accomplished so far. Have we completed our goals? Is it time to set new ones? Hmm. Right. Yeah. And then we can reflect on that mm-hmm. and kind of start maybe going down a different path together. Right. Yeah. Right? I love so. that. For me, a lot of what I do in the very beginning with the client is create that conceptualization of, of who they are, where they want to be based on what they say and what we paint. And then we work on how we're going to get there. Right. And we fill in all the pieces along the way. So a lot of it is just that, that journey. And I love that journey. And we, lay a lot of foundational work because I know, okay, they want to go way over there, but we're not there yet. It's not like I'm withholding anything and I'm not going, Ooh, I've got this key that's going to unlock something amazing for their life. But I have to wait until, you know, four months down the line when they say this certain thing, it's not quite that there's no blueprint for it that way. It's more organic. And that's part of what keeps me enthused because I keep listening for where are they right now? Where do they want to be? What's the best route to get us there? And can I bring something back that we talked about before that's going to highlight where we want to go mm-hmm. and that's going to make this step a little bit easier? And it's, to me, the most fun is being that creative and holding those pieces. Maybe it's part of how I used to put music together. Like I can hear a verse over here and we need to get to the chorus, but we got to find that bridge. And then we're, you know, it's it, a lot of moving pieces, right? right? And that's something that I don't really tire of. I get excited every time I sit down with a client, even when clients come in, and I'm sure we all know this, where they go, oh, I have no idea what I want to talk about today. Yeah. I've got nothing. Yeah. Best you know? sessions. Yeah. Right. The best sessions yeah. right. start with, I really, everything's good. I don't know what I want to talk about today. It's right. like, great. Yep. <laughs> So Doug, you mentioned something interesting as a musician, you talked about, you see what's happening in the room almost as music that you Mm -hmm. see different notes playing in different areas and rhythms and stuff like that. For myself, if you ask me anything about a client in between sessions, I will probably blank out (laughs) on you. But the minute a client comes in, for me, what happens is it's almost like this beautiful, like network opens up around them. I kind of like picture it like Tinker Toys when we were kids and like you have the sticks and they go (laughs) into little knobs and then they go to other knobs and stuff like that. So this web kind of opens up around them and we'll be talking about something and all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, it connects to this axis knob over here. So for you, where it's maybe music and conducting and movement and hearing rhythm that way. For me, the storage comes in this kind of almost structure that shows up around clients. What about the two of you? How do you, do have you ever thought about like, how does that concept work for you? No. That, yes. (laughs) Like you, yeah, I I almost see images around people. And I think as you're saying Mm. that, I'm like, it's it's an intuitive thing, right? And even in in the first session you had with a client in this podcast, Mm. there was, I'm trying to remember what it was, but Meredith, you said, I so badly wanted you to to ask ask about the brother. Mm -hmm. Right? And 
there are so many times where I'm like, oh, I want to go down there, but I'm going to hold and keep listening and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I always put them on these post-it notes in my mind. And it's not that I'm seeing those post-it notes every time I sit with the client, but sometimes the therapeutic window opens and I get to grab one. I'm like, here we go. Ooh, Here's my right. opening, right? They're ready. Maybe they weren't ready before. And I trusted that intuition mm-hmm. of now's not the time. The wise even mind. Though Yes. Even though I wanted to go there. Yes, DBT. (laughs) Right. But here's my opening. And and now we get to walk down that path together. Between sessions, because we've phone coached so much, even the clients that I don't do full on DBT with, I usually just phone coach with because I'm just so used to it. So I talk to them a lot in between and because I'm always so into the details. I was listening to something about, I think someone who works with uh, war veterans, and they were talking about when they come home from war, um, they just feel lost. Mm-hmm. And you know, they asked these, these veterans, like, what do you miss? And most of them said, everything. I miss being there. And part of it was the camaraderie and being a part of something bigger. But there was something that I really liked, which was about the singular focus of when I'm you know, in a war, I have one job, mm-hmm. I have one thing, mm-hmm. and it's a very heightened state of alert. It's why I think you hear of peak performance in athletes all the time, that they're in the zone and, you know, why Michael Jordan can have a flu and still drop 80 points. It's because he gets in mm-hmm. into the zone and he's there and he's singularly focused on what he's doing. When you're with a client, John, mm-hmm. when we're with clients, we are singularly focused on them the best. There's a lot going on and it takes a lot for us. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like playing a basketball game or not quite being in war. Sometimes it might feel like that in a battle, but we are acutely aware of them, everything they've been through, everywhere they want to go, you know, how they're thinking, mm-hmm. how they process, what would help them from our tools and how do we do this? And that's exhausting and exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think a wonderful blend, but a way for us, I think, to be fully present and singularly focused on them, you know, when they're in the room. And I think it's really interesting for clients too, because sometimes, especially working with adolescents, you'll reach a point where you'll notice some discomfort in the room. And one of the things I like to Mm. address is like, it's kind of weird having someone really listen to you, isn't it? Um, Because so much of our time we walk around the world and people, you'll go to the grocery store. Did you find what you need? Yes. How are you today? I'm fine. There's this conversational style of listening. But when you're in the room with your therapist, they are present on a level that most people don't experience on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And that can be a little bit disconcerting. And just like, yeah, it's weird having someone actually really listen and be present with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How wonderful too that you can, that you say that, right? Because this work is so relational. Mm -hmm. To me, it's so incredibly intimate and connected, but that you can just call that out and say, yeah, what's it like? This is uncomfortable for you. Well, and and think about it. We do it, you know, dozens of times a week, you know, hundreds of times with hundreds of people. A client is only doing it once in that one moment. So we know what it's like, but we actually don't know what it's specifically like for them in that moment, which is why we ask. And we're aware that they haven't done it hundreds of times, right? Yeah. You know, for me, last year, my mom passed away and... I went back to work the next day because it was the only thing that kept me okay was sitting in the room with my clients one after another or whatever, because I didn't think at all. I was so engaged and present and everyone was like, 
what are you doing at work? And How I was can like, you do that? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. it's the only thing I can do because I literally, and you know, maybe I had a half an hour break in between and it sucked and it was horrible, but being with my clients was like the only thing that kept me going. And so, you know, some of them I was transparent with and I told them like, no, no, you're saving me right now. Like this is the best possible thing I could do. So yeah, right. those moments I am so present and engaged. Like I am not in anything else except for maybe yoga, but even yoga, I'm like, oh, this hurts. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's going back to Michael Jordan, but the other one, Kobe Bryant, yeah. when he had the big court case in Colorado, I think one of those games, he dropped 81 points. Yep. And that was because he could singularly focus like basketball is the thing that I do. I can do that. Right. My life might be falling apart or whatever it is off the court, but on the court, I'm in that zone. And that zone is, I think, a wonderful place to be, especially it's one for us that involves depth and involves authenticity, right? Mindfulness. You know, Meredith, I think it's so important too, talking about that we as therapists are people too, yep. and we go through real shit ourselves. And I also be curious, um, I kind of have an idea where this question is going to go in this room. Um, <laughs> your relationship, do you have a therapist yourself? Ah. Because I have an ongoing relationship with an amazing therapist. She's been my therapist probably for 20 years now. Mm. We don't see each other all the time. Right. But it's great because when something comes up, I can go to her and say, hey, I need to check in. And we'll do like three months, six months. She has the history of who I am. So she can like, is it that thing again? You're like, damn it, it is. <laughs> but I think it is so vital for us as therapists to have our own therapist and also to have colleagues to consult with so that we're not trying to manage it all on our own. Totally. So who yeah. has a therapist? Ha, ha, ha. Doug, Doug, raising hands does not show up raising on the podcast, Doug. <laughs> Don't out me. <laughs> I, yeah, I've, I have no problem with that. Yes, I see a therapist. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, and like you, John, it's somebody that I've known for over 20 years. doesn't mean I've been going all 20 years. In fact, I've taken at least a decade off for a while. And I had uh, a colleague of his uh, that he recommended once who was sort of like the good mother. Uh, it was a female therapist who provided something very different for me than he provided. And when I'm going through something, I know, okay, do I need the good mother or the good father? Like, which which figure am I looking for nice. here, so to speak? And I've leaned on each of them over the years, and it's been incredibly, you know, rewarding for me because I, my bias as a human, not as a therapist, is I'm committed to my own personal growth, and that's never ending. I don't ever want to stop growing as mm -hmm. a person and as a human. So therapy is something that helps me along that path. Right. It's interesting because when you asked that, I felt a touch of shame because I'm not in therapy. <laughs> at, um, the, at the moment. At the moment. Right. Um, I believe all therapists would greatly benefit from also having a therapist. For me, I had a therapist for many, mm -hmm. many years. She was exactly what I needed at a time of differentiating from my family, individuating, stepping more into my sexuality. She was also lesbian identified and just was a really powerful mirror for me that I really needed. Because of my involvement in the therapist community, our paths crossed professionally mm. in many ways. So she's not somebody that I would at this time be able to see again. And every now and then I think about finding a new therapist that would be very different. Mm -hmm. I don't really need that mirror anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should see a straight man mm -hmm. to work through some of my stuff with. <laughs> but it's also hard to find 
a good therapist yes. when you're a therapist, yes. when you know a, a lot of good therapists, or you're very judgmental about yep. <laughs> what good therapy is. Yep. And so I'm always asking around, do you have someone? Maybe not Northeast LA. So I will get back into therapy soon, but it is really important. It's funny that some, I think a lot of our clients want a therapist that's good and close to them. When it's a therapist looking for a therapist, like I want somebody that's good and far away from me. Right. Like they don't want to be right near where they are. Not me. (laughs) (laughs) I was in therapy for a while and she's amazing. And actually, the reason that I stopped seeing her specifically was because she moved to the east side. And uh, I'm an asshole. And yes, judging myself. Can I have myself. her name and number? <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Awesome. Um, and not a lesbian. So I don't need that. At right. This time. That's what I'm saying. So. Perfect. <laughs> um, and then since then, I've tried a few different people and then... What actually goes on in my mind is I know everything that I need to know. I'm not, I'm just not doing it. And that's not true. It's just not true. I want to be back in therapy and I will. Damn it. <laughs> you yes, go get him. You I'm go going girl. to. And yes. For me, it's also not just personal therapy, but you're right. Cause sometimes a therapist in their own mind can be their own worst therapist. Oh, for sure. Totally. And so that's why having that resource to go to can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the same as Doug though. It's an ongoing relationship that I step in and step out of, yeah. which is really important. But the other piece that's so important to me is also consultation because not just being our own worst therapist for ourselves, but sometimes we can get lost yep. in an idea of what we think is going on in the room. And sometimes it doesn't work out the way we want it to. And having a consultation person, that's like being able to talk to another therapist, reach out. It's like, this thing's been going on and I'm really confused. And they'll be like, have you thought of this? And you're like, Oh, (laughs) and I think it's so important for us as therapists to also be open and have a great consultation network so we can get support when we've got challenges showing up in the room with clients. Especially in private practice. Mm -hmm. It's so lonely. Mm -hmm. I was explaining to my wife a couple years ago that we have these intense sessions, right? And then we drive home usually alone and it's quiet. It's very different than the entertainment industry where there's an applause, right? Right. Yeah. Nobody also, it's so great this podcast is happening because nobody knows what we do. Yeah. Right? So my my wife thinks I'm the most brilliant therapist. She has no idea. I could be (laughs) terrible. You know what I mean? I could be the worst therapist in the world because nobody sees what we do. And there's something about that that can be incredibly lonely. Hmm. Um, And then we, we can't really go home and talk about it. So we have our colleagues and yes, we maintain confidentiality, but we can, it's almost like we speak the same language. Mm -hmm. We can talk about a case or say, am I missing something? I feel really stuck or I feel something's coming up in me. I'm having counter-transference or I'm feeling triggered or avoidant what's going on. And we can very lovingly and compassionately challenge one another. And someone can say something that you're going, I literally never thought to say that or to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just it's it's so important to have a community within this work. Yeah. I mean, I'm very grateful. I have a team of 15, 18 of us that are in the same office. I think that I would go crazy if I was just like alone in an office all day. I'm not that exciting in my own head all day long. (laughs) Um, And to have all these different people to consult with. Because 
to be honest, if I had to reach out every day to consult with someone or even, you know, once in a while, I probably wouldn't do it, but just that I can, you know, stop someone in my, in the hallway or, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky, Mm. very grateful. And yeah, it gets, it does get really lonely. You know, we are that's, human. That's why I miss you in, in my building, Bonnie. I miss you too, Dad. Oh, but we used to have that. And I think having right. that in, in my building, you know, there's a bunch of therapists and it's a collaborative mm-hmm. community. We're mm-hmm. all talking to each other a, a lot. And I think there were times when people's doors would be open. You just walk in and you go, you know, oh man, I just fucking killed it with this yeah. family. I'm yes. a family ninja. Watch me go. Yes. Check this out. Guess what I just did? Yeah. Or I just fucked up or, real bad. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. either way, we don't get the applause. Yeah. So it's it's being able to do that mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. is amazing. And sometimes it is on the drive home. You, you call a colleague and you just want to share what you did. Yeah. N- right. Nobody hears you or sees you or knows you except for the client. Right? Do you right. have that in your office now? So- I left Doug's yeah. building, very sad, Yeah, to yeah. be closer to home because mm-hmm. I had a baby 10 months ago. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to be close in case something happened yeah. and was also just ready to build my own space. Mm-hmm. So I took a large raw space and built two offices in Ooh. the lobby and furnished it with a close friend and colleague of mine. So wow. it's just the two of us. Okay. Um, but if she's not there, I'm alone. Mm-hmm. But when she's there, you know, it's so it's nice fun. to be yeah. able to run into each other's office and be like, do you know what I just said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Or she make her wife makes me lunch on Tuesdays. <gasps> oh, fun. <laughs> That's very nice. So it's, yeah. it's, I have somebody there, which I'm really lucky, but it's also different when you have a community like yeah. Doug's built, mm-hmm. because with that, if Mona wasn't there. Doug was there. And if Doug, you know, yeah. and you could just pop in, smile. Yeah. And it was, not, it was not that lovely. we say who the client is or what was going to no, like, We're not always at all. maintaining confidentiality. It's not like, guess what this client said. Nope. Yeah. And this is who he, it's, it's what our experience is and getting validation for ourselves professionally and personally sometimes too. Right. Right. Totally. You, so for me, We've got an office space. I've got two colleagues who work with me. So we're available to each other that way. But I also have this cool thing. We've got this kind of group text going mm-hmm. with some colleagues of mine. And there are kind of two ways we use it. One is tough session, send me some good energy. Mm-hmm. And people just like that. text you back saying, you got this, you're great, emojis, yay. <laughs> and then the other version is tough session, anyone free to chat. Oh, And that's that. the thing that we all reach out and say like, okay, I'll give you a call. I've got a break in 10 minutes. That's awesome. And having that kind of immediate support is really powerful too. And even just knowing it, it's there um, is a great mm. way yeah. to keep my my group connected. That's yeah. awesome. So, Can we be a part of that? So you said, you said <laughs> tough session, tough session. What about when it's a good session or a good moment? Do you guys text that or is it not really as much? We're not using it that way in particular. Um, we're really using it more as a support for I'm in a challenge moment. Mm-hmm. Do you get those other moments? I, okay, I'm going to be completely honest. I am so good at doing my happy dance <laughs> that my <laughs> internal sense of validation is perfectly legit and happy. Nice. Um, and also when I was a, a newbie intern, uh, one of my supervisors gave me this great idea and I've done it ever since is I have what's called kind of a success journal. And you notate those moments when something spectacular has mm. happened in the room. 
Because in this work, it's easy to lose track of that sometimes. Totally. And so you can go back and look like, oh my God, I forgot three years ago. I had that really cool interaction. Aww. That was so wonderful. That's awesome. And That's so for me, the success side, I, like I said, I'm more than happy to do my happy Snoopy dance. Oh my God. <laughs> do you, do you get this? I get this sometimes with adolescents who I love working with and teenagers, especially when you start like middle school or high school, then you see them through college and then they go off. But every now and then I'll get a card from a parent or sometimes from the, the like kid Like a themselves. handwritten card in the mail? Handwritten card in the mail. Wow. Yeah. That's cute, Doug. I know. It's amazing. And it's it's really nice and wonderful. And I, I'm guessing, I but I don't know. Do you get that, John, from some of yours? So the version of it that I get is, first of all, I do work through kids, like through high school, through graduation. And then in August, I get to go through that moment of like, my babies are going off to college. Aww. So I do get to have that moment. And that's one of those moments when I will consult with my group. Right. And then what I get a lot of times is like a quick email. It's just like, oh, settled in, doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And then like, hey, I'm home for the holidays. Any way we can do a holiday session. I just want to let you know how I'm doing. Mm. Um, and that ongoing relationship is really fantastic and really exciting. I yeah. love that. I have a few handful of clients that I worked with in high school. During college, they would come home for the holidays and stuff. They've graduated from college. They've come back. Now I'm working with them again. And it's nice. Oh my God. It's the best thing ever. I what love about, it. there's two things that I love too, is when I get a sibling of a client, mm -hmm. like the, the younger sibling will come because the other one worked with me mm -hmm. and had a great experience. I love that. And the second, and I know, well, I know some of this about some of you, but I want to hear you say it on air. Mm -hmm. When you have clients that decide to become therapists themselves oh, and yes. go to school for that. The best. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of people who then go to school mm -hmm. um, to become therapists. So I, I also have worked with a lot of therapists who are in school, who are doing their traineeship or internship and need to work with a licensed therapist. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's such a, it's a cool thing to be part of that journey. And also within school, I think a lot comes up for them as well. Oh yeah. So there's just more to work with. Yeah. I love it. And I have a lot of clients who come to me very depressed and I can't do anything. I hate everything. I don't like anything. Everything? Everything. Right. That's, yes, mm. they're hyperbolic, just like me. This one kid I had come to me, kid, he's probably in his mid-20s, misanthropic. I hate the world. Everyone sucks. I'm never going to like anything. So I printed out, I went, I printed out a list of, I think, 250 or 300 possible careers and had him, made him look through them in my office. And it was like, Every page just tossed on the floor. Nope, nope, nope. And every single one was a no. And I was like, okay. okay. Um, so we ended up, he ended up going to Antioch. Wow. And he just graduated a little bit ago and is working and doing his hours and like the most heartwarming thing ever. So there's a, a few clients actually that because they have no path and hate everything and don't want to do anything. I'm like, well, and it's <laughs> become a therapist. <laughs> based, I, I think I left this part out. Hold on. Yeah. Let's qualify Wait, that a little on. bit, shall we? Based on me in the room, feeling their intuition and their empath and me sensing that even though they have no sense of it, I could tell that it would be something they'd be really good at. And I, a big, go ahead, Bonnie. I was just going to say, I, I don't want to assume that client's experience, but if they're coming in feeling like I don't like anything 
except for this space. Exactly. Right. And, Mm. or maybe I don't like anyone except for you or this, whatever this is, Mm -hmm. they might realize they want more of it. And can they then create that space for other people struggling as well? Yep. And they show up no matter what they hate, they show up every week. And so it's been so magical to watch like a a few of these of these clients go through that. I absolutely love it. And I would say too, that part of what you're saying, Bonnie, to piggyback on that, it's their experience, not just in the room or this relationship, but having been through whatever they've been through, uh, depression, anxiety, they have a great frame of reference from which they can now give back and help by going, I can relate to somebody else because I've been there. I know it, I've been through it. And now if I get the tools to really help somebody, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And one of the things I love to do when someone identifies that they want to go into psychology is I say, and remember this moment, remember your experiences in therapy, because someday you're going to be sitting across from a client. And if you can remember all of this, you're going to remember how they felt and how they're feeling and you'll be more empathic. So remember all of this when you go forward in this career. It's pretty powerful. Amazing. I love that. Okay, but let me ask you a quick honesty question then. Because a lot of times when I'm working with associates and interns, these are people who I are I thought like you were going to say hours. when I'm working with sociopaths. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on. We're going um, A lot of times newer therapists will do this thing that I call their therapy voice. Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Uh, so no. tell yeah. me how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And for me, I said, you have to look at the authenticity of that moment. And although that may feel like you're trying to create something in the room, is it actually you being authentic? Because that alignment that we do with clients, that attunement is based on our authenticity as well. And even, you know, we've talked earlier, all of us are very open in the room about who we are and what we do in the world. Even if you're a therapist who holds your information much more closely, Mm -hmm. that authenticity and attunement is so important. And to me, that therapist voice, and I've experienced from other therapists that I've gone to in the past, is really off-putting. So Bonnie, how did that make you feel? (laughs) So uncomfortable. Okay. Tell me more about that discomfort. Can we move towards that? (laughs) But I No judgment. We're not judging. But when you hear our voices here, this is who we are. Yeah. This is us being real. This is my inflections. This is my passions. This is my excitement showing up. And for me as a therapist to disguise that in the room makes me less able to attune to the person I'm working with. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not about me dominating the room or the story, but it's about me just being so authentic in who I am that it just, it's there. And it's so much easier too. It really is. Absolutely. And it allows the client to drop their guard and be who they are because it really is just about finding that authenticity. Yeah. I talked to my associates about that as well. And I've, I've never had somebody put on a therapist voice, but the way you carry your body... Mm-hmm. right? Feeling like I have to sit up tall. I have to sit a certain way. And I feel like our clients can, they can feel if we're anxious, if we're putting on something, if we're trying to act professional or look professional or sit, whatever sitting professional looks like. Right. Oh, I, I will, oh, yeah. I will sit with my legs crossed like this. I will, I, I'm just, I always have coffee next to me. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm just myself. But we've in been doing room. this a while and, right. we, and, and we found who we are and we found right. a way to bring that out. I remember when I first started and I would tell my associates this too, that when I first started, I was freaked out about moving my body, that oh. a client might see me move my body. We like, just almost had a spit take here. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. That was right. moisture almost spewed <laughs> out of your mouth. 
but really, I, I, I thought I can't cross my legs. I can't grab my water. I can't move my arms. Right. I need to be, you know, very present for them exactly this way. Right. You know, because I thought they were interpreting me the way I was interpreting them. And then I thought about, wait, my therapist would like blow his nose, would stick his coffee in his little microwave, you know? Yep. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's it's about finding who you are in the room and being that. Yeah. Right. 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 I mean, I some of my clients and I joke about that I, I use my hands a lot. Like I'm always using my hands. Gesturing yeah. and such. Yeah. yeah. Who's going to say that's what... No, that's what she said. You guys, you oh, really let me down. Damn it. You damn really it. let me down. I just said, said I use my hands. <laughs> that would have been a Cut. great moment. Yeah. Sometimes I sit on the floor with my clients. Like sometimes like, and I always sit like this. Mm-hmm. You guys can't see me, but my legs are always up because it's just uncomfortable. I don't know. Yeah. You're and sitting it, for hours. I yeah. feel like my ass is going to get like wide and flat. Her. So I fuck off. <laughs> I do a lot Mom of squats. Mom and dad are fighting again. <laughs> Stop. I do a so lot of squats. The other thing too, though, and I think it's really fascinating, is that as I have matured as a therapist and continue to learn, I actually find myself doing less and less and less in the room. Yes. Um, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that when I was just beginning and really excited about everything, a client mm-hmm. would come in and present something and I would want to fold out every possible piece of homework I had, every <laughs> theoretical yeah. orientation yeah. I'd heard about that thing, tons of exercises. Let's do 14 meditations <laughs> in this one session. And what I found is it just overwhelms the client. It floods them. Yeah. Right. Right. And I have a joke with a lot of my teens and... What I say sometimes is, so I just flooded you, didn't I? I just like totally waved over you with my excitement about something. And I pull it back and I've just learned over time that it's just like bringing less and being present more is so incredibly powerful in the room. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a colleague about this the other day that I feel like when I'm a little bit under the weather, I'm almost a better therapist. Mm. I'm very active in the room, but there's also this idea of of sitting back and and registering the impact of somebody. Yeah. Um, and I talked to my associates about not trying too hard. You don't have to try at all, really. Just be present. Register the impact. How is this person making you feel? Sit, and you're going to know how to show up in that space. I think we're all similar. I'm so active in the room. I just get really excited about everything. <laughs> so <laughs> hyperbolic, honestly. I'm like, oh, my God, wait. Okay. Hold on. Tell a, me. I call it a lean forward therapist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and I also think it's it's really important too to not get caught up in that idea that we have to do performance art for our clients. Oh yeah. Right. Because once again, in training therapists, a lot of times we'll videotape and you'll watch either that body posture yeah. thing of hi, I am the therapist in the room, or these energies of like, I just learned this new modality and I'm going to apply it to you, whether it counts <laughs> or not. And it is about, I think, a certain maturity that comes in. I want about just being completely present with a client mm-hmm. and being authentic mm-hmm. with them. Because this may be the first time in a long time that someone has been authentic with them. Yeah. And working with teens, my joke is teens have an amazing bullshit meter. And if you try and fake mm-hmm. it with them, they will call you on oh, it God. in a second. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's funny because I would have previously said that what that requires, like what we're talking about describing, experience. And I think that's true to a certain degree, but I think more of what it requires is your own authenticity. Mm -hmm. Because I've known therapists that are fairly newer therapists, and they're amazing. And they're amazing because they know who they are, they know how they are in a room, and they're fine, 
right? And the experience with clients will come. Right. Right. Do you find that they're older though? Like maybe not early twenties? Correct. Okay. So they maybe have more experience in life, life. not yeah. necessarily with clients though. Correct. So they know themselves better. Yeah. And I'm going to call out the age thing. Cause I think it's actually what you said second, that they know themselves better. Yeah. Cause I've met 20 year olds who know themselves True. so True. deeply. True. Yeah. And you're right. Like, you're right. You yeah. have the potential to be an amazing therapist yeah. Right. Yeah. and 70 year olds who are like, you've got some work to do. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. 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 In fact, there's something Meredith said about the client who's on this podcast is, is that your, your average client? Jesus. Because he's so wise. Right. He's incredibly insightful. He's yeah. been through a lot. He's had a lot of life experience in a short amount of time. And he's a toddler. <laughs> right. He's, he's <laughs> young. I mean, we're all old. Um, but I think that idea that not you. If you have some life experience or have been through some, it doesn't matter if you're 22, 42, yeah. 62. Yeah. It's how it works for you, how, how you've applied it, how you've been able to be authentic and, and bring that out. Right? Although I will say, and I think we talked about this, maybe just in person though, I can't remember, that our life experience, what we consider life experience, or if you've been through a lot, is all relative, right? Right. So, you know, whether you've been through the war, death, destruction, whatever, or you've just been through whatever your dog passed away, you know, not to minimize that for anyone. That sounded bad. Anyway, it's all relative, right? So. Right, right. Anxiety is anxiety. Sad is sad. Right. There are different scales of it, but if you felt an emotion, you yeah. felt an emotion, you exactly. know what that feels like yeah. and right. relate to that. Right. Yeah. What, what I love about you though, and I almost said this earlier, is when you acknowledged like that is not the client, mm-hmm. a, a transgender person is not the client for me. Yeah. And I think as therapists, we have to own the type of clients that are good fits for us. And the, I don't want to say type of client, yeah. but the issues are struggling yeah. with yeah. might not be in our wheelhouse. Yeah. No, we can't help everybody. Yeah. And I, I do try to not be judgmental, but what I will judge is that when a therapist, like when I look at their website or when they specialize in everything. everything. Mm-hmm. I just totally. want to be like, no, you don't. Totally. Please I've, don't take that. That's not a specialization. Thing. Yeah. Though. It's right. just, I'm, I'm good at a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Okay. And for sure. the LGBTQ community, and I'm sure you've experienced this, they might come and say, well, my last therapist said they specialized in it. And they'll tell me things that are so incredibly harmful. Yeah. It makes me sick to my stomach yeah. that yeah. just because you have a gay friend or a gay sibling, or maybe even your LGBTQ yourself doesn't mean that you know how to work in an affirmative space. Yeah. Right. And I think that plays out in a lot of different specializations. For me, if someone has identified disordered eating, to me, that's a life or death issue. Mm -hmm. I have some light training on it, but I do not consider myself a specialist. I know some amazing people in this community who specialize in that. And that's where I'm going to send this client to. And I think this lays out in all kinds of different issues. If it is not something that I feel I have depth on, I want to make sure I get you to the right Right. person. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I learned from you early on is recognizing not just your limitations or what you're good at or not good at or need help with, but it's having that referral base, Mm -hmm. having a group of people that, oh, eating disorder, this sounds emergent. I know exactly who to contact mm-hmm, for right, this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a strength. The, the strength as a therapist is not, I can handle anything. It's, I know a lot of people that can handle and just And to know what your strengths are and areas in which you're not right. so strong in. Absolutely. Yeah. I just sent a client to a good friend of 
mine who went to school with us uh, as an eating disorder specialist because mm-hmm. it's like you, I can do some of that, mm-hmm. but for hitting that as a specialization, exactly. you know, you need somebody who this is what they do exactly. And that's why with the paperwork I was talking about earlier that I received before I see the person, mm. um, if they're coming in, let's say they're active in their addiction. Yes, I have experience working with addicts. Yes, yeah. I have an experience around that. It's not my specialty. Yeah. And so if I know there's another therapist where they're going to just be in better hands, yeah. I'm going to probably pick up the phone and say, I want to be transparent with you up front, right? And offer three referrals. Or maybe I'll say, you can still come in. And at the end, I'll have a better sense of what it is you need. Right. Right. And I'll be able to hook you up with somebody who really specializes in this yeah i find that really rewarding when you hook somebody mm-hmm. up oh, and yeah. it's a good That's matchmaker. I just did that for <laughs> yeah i send a lot of people to doug i send um, a lot of people to you too but also to to say you know doug knows a lot of therapists yeah in right. this community yeah um he really enjoys being a bridge to help people find the right therapist so i'll say why don't you contact doug mm-hmm. and here are a couple other people's i'm think people i'm thinking yeah. Well, and that brings up an interesting thing for me too, because when I was initially starting out, it was really about, you know, me doing my work mm-hmm. and my message has changed so dramatically in every place that I speak and where I reach out into the community. And it's more about what psychology itself can offer to anybody. Yeah. It's yes. this bigger message now. That. And maybe that comes because I have a very successful practice and I'm very set in, you know, who I am in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's so important. You were talking earlier about what we do. We do behind closed doors. But there are ways of us to speak powerfully and openly about this work like we're doing today yep. yes. to invite people in to go behind that closed door and to understand how amazing the work we do is and just how powerful it can be to change anyone's life. True, true. Yeah. In fact, I remember... You knew me when I was first going into private practice and I had a failed private practice and the people I was doing with and was around me, it was all about competition. It was about trying to build your individual practice and get your own clients. Mm -hmm. And there was a competition and a scarcity mentality to it. Right. And then I went back to a community mental health agency, then back into private practice and we connected or John and I, we stayed connected. I think, and it was really about how do we do this? you know, as a collaborative community and how do we really do this while we're helping each other out and finding those people you can refer to and not just thinking of yourself. You embody that so much and inspired me to, you know, kind of create what I did on the east side. And I would think that that is what creates success, right? Whatever we define as success, but yeah. And fulfillment. I have associates contact me all the time asking to take me out to coffee Hmm. to pick my brain about private practice. Mm -hmm. And I know other therapists who won't do that. And for me, I've never said no. Um, Mm. I will sit with people, help them, but that's, it comes back to you, right? Because you're helping them. I love helping new therapists get clients and thrive in their own way. And it always comes back, right? And it feels good. I mean, we do it. It's not just success, but it's fulfillment. And that's not just cliche. I think it's true. We, right. We do it because it feels good and it's the Snoopy happy dance if you can, right? Right. Well, whatever success means. Means to you, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really got into this work for the money. I mean, straight up. Yeah. 
<laughs> For those sure. of you who don't know Doug, that was his dry wit <laughs> at play. Um, I really want to thank you guys for, for coming here. I mean, I, I, I love all of you so much and I really appreciate just talking about this. We're going to be doing a few of these throughout the podcast and, and maybe we'll have you guys back on, not just to do the LGBTQ bit, but I think just hearing your voices and hearing your input. I mean, it's so fun. Yeah. This was fun. We could we could go for hours, Doug. I know. We probably could. Yep. I don't know if anybody'd keep listening, but we could go for hours. <laughs> we'll listen. Right. Yes. Well, thank you for holding this space for us because it's it's important to connect and to have these greater conversations for other people to hear. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we're such therapists. I know. I know. <laughs> Never turns off, does it? Nope. Nope. Well, it's about to. <laughs> Well, that was our round table. We're not so round. It's kind of a tree stump shape. It table. really, yeah, it was actually. Yeah, but it was. I had a blast. I loved it. It was super fun being able to just sort of chat with other therapists and get their insight and opinions. And yeah, it's funny because we chat with a lot of therapists just as our friends, but to be chatting about you know something specifically, you know, it was really cool. We generally haven't done a lot of that. That's not true. Actually, I do that all the time, but recording it is new. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So there are a few things in there that I really, you know, I listened to it again and I, it stuck out for me as like, oh, that was really cool. I'm going to use that. And a few things like when we were talking about the first session and somebody was saying how the first session was enjoyable for them. Mm -hmm. Like they love, I think Bonnie was saying, I I love first sessions. Yeah. And I remember, and we talked about it a little bit in the round table, just being petrified of a first session with a client. And, you know, I I think it's different for a new therapist and one who's been doing it for a while, like just where you feel a little more comfortable. And I don't know, maybe that's something clients can sniff out. Maybe that's things that aren't that important once you get going, but that anxiety that a client has about going to therapy for the first time, how am I going to do this? What's it going to sound like? Am I going to get it all out? Sometimes even that therapist will have anxiety about a first session too. Exactly. I remember when I first started therapy that I, that I chose to go to on my own for so long, I had therapists on this pedestal that they were not human per se, that they right, didn't have right. fucked up lives themselves or they didn't struggle or whatever. They, um, they had their shit together. Yeah, they were up there and better totally. than any of us could ever be. Yep. And right. that's definitely not true. Right. Hate to burst your bubble. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that hearing, you know, just the things that the other therapists that were in the round table do, some of the things I was like, oh, that's super cool. I would never do that. And also that's super cool. And some of the things, you know, we were talking about paperwork or something and, you know, sending it online or versus whatever. And I was just like, oh yeah, okay. I want to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't generally therapists work in isolation. You know, they, they're in their own office in private practice. They're in their own office and you don't really talk to that many people about what you're doing or how you're doing it. You know, fortunately in my building where I work, I've got a lot of therapists in there and we have this collaborative community that we talked about on the round table where we do talk to each other and we do help each other out. And we do say, oh, I do it like this. Like, oh, you're doing that. Awesome. Let me try that. Yeah. Same. I, I'm an amazing team I work with. Yeah. 15, 18 therapists. So I'm very grateful for that. Right. Right. It's funny too, because John, 
I knew him, I think I was saying this, when I first tried private practice, when I was doing community mental health and tried a private practice and started it, and it did not work. It did not go well. And John was with me for that. And I was talking to him about this a lot at the time. And it just, it felt a lot like that isolation. I mean, I clung Mm -hmm. to John and a few of his colleagues, but around me, I didn't have much. And some of the other people around me were very competitive. Yeah. And they had this scarcity mentality of like needing to get clients and needing to get that. I'm like, this isn't the way to help people. This doesn't feel right. So it's kind of like a client with a therapist, you find one you connect with and you click with. Same thing with us and other therapists, colleagues. Yeah. And figuring out what we're doing. They teach us how to be in the room with a client, but they don't teach us how to set up your business or what you're doing or how you're doing it. And I think you're at the mercy of who you know around you and how much of a self-motivator you can be for putting that together, right? Exactly. Yeah. And as a client, you're looking for, in part, who knows what they're doing, who who feels comfortable, and who do I feel comfortable with? And that's why on the podcast, I like somebody, uh, or the roundtable, somebody said you know, that a client was able to relate to them because they'd gone through a similar experience, right? And my friend Nathaniel, who you know very well, yes. was telling me about hearing something Steven Tyler from Aerosmith said, and he paraphrased it, so this is now going to be like three times removed. So All hearsay. Forgive me, Steven Tyler, <laughs> if I fuck this up. But he said when he was looking for a new therapist, he would sit down in the room and go, so have you done heroin? And if the therapist said no, he'd go, well, I'm out of here because you're not going to be able to relate to me. You don't know what I'm talking about when I say what I say about that, right? And that's why I think specialties are yeah. really important. Like yeah. people come to you for addiction or eating disorder or things like that. And they know that you know that world, Yeah. right? You know, if somebody came to me going, hey, I'm, I love my heroin, you can relate to that, right? Like, well, I can relate to loving something, but not right, heroin. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, roundtable, awesome. You guys will hear more of them too. Yeah. And let us know what you guys want to hear a therapist talking about, because we can talk about anything for hours. Literally what you heard us doing. I think <laughs> when we stopped, we kept going we for did. a while. We did. And, and we came up with more ideas. <laughs> right. Yep. Totally. And that's, I'd love these ideas to come from you guys so we can give you what you want to hear. And even if there's a type of therapist, you know, Meredith and I work a certain way. Uh, John and Bonnie work a certain way. Like if if you guys wanted to hear, well, what do you guys, how would you relate to therapists that come from a very rigid background or what it, would it sound like having a specialist on this talk about something with you having such an eclectic approach? Totally. Yeah. What would you like to hear a psychoanalyst? Would you like to hear a spiritual psychology therapist. I would like to hear all those. Sure. Get them all in the room together. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be amazing. And let us duke it all out. That'd be great. (sighs) Mm -hmm. It's funny because a lot of my good colleagues and friends have very, very different approaches than I do. And we can still be friends and colleagues. It's not like we have to all do the same thing the same way at all. No, we just fight behind closed doors. Or talk shit about each other behind other doors. (laughs) (laughs) You should hear what I say about you. Yeah, right. No, you do hear what I say about you. (laughs) i do um thanks for listening to the roundtable give us your ideas for more and we will get them to you bye bye